Well, I want to talk about uh, experiencing the gospel. And part of the reason, this was just in my heart, even personally, for 2019, is, you know, we sit, it's just part of our culture. We, we come from a mostly kind of Greek mindset. Sometimes Greeks get blamed for everything, but, uh, I mean, this is, it did come from them, but nothing against Greeks. So anyways, but the Greek mindset is you collect knowledge, like knowledge is power, and, you know, you get that. You're, so the way we, we do education is, comes from the Greek philosophy of you sit down, you have a mentor, a, a master kind of teach you, and you just collect knowledge, and there's not a whole lot of application to it. You know, how many of y'all had professors in an area that they never worked in that field? And nothing against that, but I'm just saying it's, they have that job because they have enough knowledge. But, um, you know, Jewish mindset is a little bit different. It's where it's, you remember when Jesus said uh, he was preaching to the 5,000 men, which meant he had, they had their families, which is probably like 20,000. <laughs> and they were, the disciples were like, we got to send them away because it's supper time. We don't have any food. And Jesus said, you feed them. And so Jesus didn't go into like a, a systematic explanation of why he has the ability to feed 20,000 people. He just said, go do it. And so this is part of how we grow in our relationship with Jesus is that he, uh, he shows us and then he says, go do it. And maybe he shows you through another person. Maybe he shows you through scripture, whatever it may be, but then he wants you to go do it. And the, and the fact is, we're, we are responsible for whatever revelation we've been given. And so, you know, what does, what does love look like? The gospel is about the love of God. So what does love look like, you know? And so, for me to say I love my children, but they serve me, I don't take them to school. You know, when they were younger, I didn't change their diapers. Or I don't, you know, I'm not getting them dressed. You know, that's what everything that parents do because they love their kids. I don't know anybody that just looks forward to changing diapers. I don't know anybody that really loves doing dishes or laundry. Maybe you prefer one or the other, but love looks like, hey, I'm going to sacrifice for you because I love you. You know, Jessica, if I told her, hey, babe, I love you with all my heart. Um, I know you're making supper right now, but the dish, those dishes that are kind of right there, they need to clean those up when you get a chance. We know how that works out. <laughs> you got two hands. You get, you know, funny story. Sometimes guys are just blind to stuff, especially if you're total bachelor life, because when Jessica goes out of town, I default to bachelor mode. So she's like, what'd you have for supper? I was like, well, I had a can of tuna. And then there was like uh, this open bag of peanut M&Ms. I just ate some rest of those and uh, had a protein shake. That's kind of what, just whatever. Can anybody testify to that whenever, whenever uh, the wifey leaves? So 
when we lived in Texas at, at seminary, we had an upstairs and a downstairs to our apartment. And on the chair, like our, our furniture basically took up a whole living room in seminary. And the ottoman had a basket of laundry on there. And I think I walked by that basket of laundry about four or five days straight. And Jessica was like, have you not seen that, ba that basket of laundry? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And I honestly had not seen it. I was being honest. I was like, what are you? She's like, that right there. I was like, uh, I mean, I haven't seen it. And she, and she couldn't believe that, obviously, you know, but that was honest. But, and so the point is, is that when we, when we love somebody, we're going to, hey, maybe I'll do that for Jessica. Take one more thing off of her plate. I'll wash the dishes because she made supper. You know, that's typically what good, healthy love looks like instead of uh, somebody else waiting hand and foot on the other person. And so love is always going to be followed by an action. I can't say I love Jessica and not prove it with my actions. Because if I'm just saying, baby, I love you, I love you from the easy chair, it's not going to be very believable. And so <clears throat> love without action is dead and faith without works is dead. So we need to be doers of the word and not just hearers. I want you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. So I'm going to read, read it first out of the NASB, and then we're going to read it from the Passion Translation. And these are verses 21 through 25. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in all that he does. All right, now from the Passion Translation. So just listen carefully if you don't have this. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it, for that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. So if we just listen to the word of truth and don't respond to it, we are essentially deceiving ourselves. 
I, I would go as far as you can even go into deception if you're not actually practicing it. Because, I mean, just imagine if somebody, who are you going to trust? Somebody that knows how to fire a gun. Somebody that's actually fired a gun or like, I, I read the instruction manual like 20 times, but I haven't fired the gun. You're going to trust the guy that's actually fired the gun or the, or the woman. She's got a permit to conceal carry right there. So we must receive the word that will become implanted and engrafted into us by the Holy Spirit. And so this word doers, you know, and sometimes this has been a hang up for, for Christians, like it says be doers of the word. It's like, well, we live by, we're saved by grace through faith. And, that, and that's true. This is not, this is not a contradiction. It's not a contradiction to be saved by grace through faith and be doers of the word because what did I just say about love? Love is supported by action. And so this word doers is this word poetes, which is a form of the word poema, which is, guess where we get, what word that is in English? Poem. And so this word doer means you're a poet or a performer. So the, the Bible is saying, don't just be hearers of the word, be a poet of the word, be a performer of the word. And so what God is inviting us to is to make our own story with the gospel. Make your own poem with the gospel. Create something with the gospel. And so how are you creating this, this poetry with the, with the gospel? So we, we want to be doers of the word and not just here. We want to be poets of the word. And so everybody gets to make of their life. So this is, this is what you have to work with to make your poem, to make your masterpiece. You're like, Lord, I'm going to make my life a poem out of your word. And so here's where you draw from. And then I want to talk about the uh, divine image that we're meant to live in. So according to this passage, we discover what we really look like in the Word. You discover what you really look like in the Word. And so what the Bible does you don't read the word, the word reads you and shows you who you're created to be. So what happened in the beginning with, with Adam and Eve? They were created in the image of God, correct? When they fell, what did they lose sight of? Their image. Who were they, the person that they were created in the image of? What did Jesus come to do? Restore your image. Jesus is called the second Adam. It said the first Adam, through the first Adam, death reigned. But through the second Adam, life reigns. And so we, when we look in the word, when we read the word, when we are praying, pray reading the word, this is what, this is the easiest way to pray. It's just as you're reading the Bible, because how many of y'all sometimes you're like, all right, Maybe I've got 30 minutes before I got to go to work. 
I've heard people say I've got to worship and I need to read the word and I need to pray. And I'm supposed to read three chapters. And I'm supposed to pray, you know, this, you know, by the time you actually think of your list, it's 15 minutes in. So anyways, but you, so this is what you do. You're like, all right, I'm going to read the word. And then you're reading. I'm just flipping open. Here we go. There, this is Jeremiah 16. Therefore, behold, the days are coming. We will no longer be said as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel, the land of Egypt. Father, will you bring us out of the land of Egypt again? So you just pray, read the word. So you just stop and you say like a little prayer after you read that scripture. Acts 20. I probably should be a little more calculated. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves to so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Lord, we're sheep, we're innocent. I follow your voice. Help me be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. You don't have to get real stray real far off from the word. You just pray it, just address it to the Father. Lord, I want to be as shrewd as a serpent, as innocent as a dove. That's the wisdom from heaven that enables you to do that. So anyways, that's how you pray, read the word. And so when we look at the word, it shows us it's a reflection of ourselves. It's like, hey, this is who you're created to be. And so if you're just a hearer of the word and you look at the word, you're like, wow, I see that there's a reflection of Jesus in there. But then you don't go do and become what Jesus is. You forget, it says you forget who you are. What's the major problem for Christians? What's the root of every problem that we face? Identity. Because if the devil can steal your identity, he can steal your destiny. He's not trying to actually go after your destiny. He's just like, if I can just tell you who you're not, and you believe me, I hit two birds with one stone. So your identity, everything flows out of your identity. Everything flows out of that. And that's why, that's why the devil comes after that. He came after it with Jesus. It's, it's not a new strategy. So when we walk away from the word, not letting it transform us, we exchange our former or, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the image of Christ for our old image. So it's like, we're going to go back to the old man. But when we do take it in, we exchange our former image for the image of Christ. So how do we not forget our divine image? It's putting the word into practice. So, for example, the word says, forgive those who hurt you. Forgive those who sin against you. So you put the word into practice by, hey, I'm going to forgive this person that hurt me. I'm going to bless my enemies. The word says, pray for healing. Pray for the sick. The blind see, the hear, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. All right, Jesus, this is what you said. You, you, and you, you go do that. You share the gospel with someone. You repent of compromise or immorality. That's how you put the word into practice, and that's actually how you grow. So I promise I didn't steal the sermon from Oswald Chambers, but there's a lot of Oswald Chambers quotes today, just letting you know, and that's not a bad thing. So Oswald said, for understanding, now, all right, I'll say this a little quick. This is funny about Oswald Chambers. I remember I, I, when I first started walking with the Lord, 
I did my most for his highest as my devotional. And then I did it for like a year, and I'm just like, this is kind of getting old. I kind of know this stuff. Now when I read my utmost for his highest, it's like, oh, my gosh. I get blasted. <laughs> I get totally blasted. It's like, this dude, I don't know. I mean, anyways, I was like, there's, there, you have scripture, then you have Oswald Chambers <laughs> and Andrew Murray right there. So, so for understanding in spiritual matters, the golden rule is not intellect, but obedience. So if a man wants scientific knowledge, intellectual curiosity is his God. But if he wants insight into what Jesus Christ teaches, he can only get it by obedience. That's how you transform, because what are you doing with the word? You're putting it into practice. You're wielding the sword. How do you learn how to fight? You go practice. So faith without works is dead. So this is uh, James chapter 2. You can turn there. But I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, so it's, you may just be better off just listening because it's not going to match up unless you have that. So uh, verses 14 through 16. My dear brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? How could this kind of faith save anyone? For example, if a brother or sister in the faith is poorly clothed and hungry, and if you leave them saying, goodbye, I hope you stay warm and have plenty to eat, but you don't provide them with a coat or even a cup of soup, what good is your faith? So then faith that doesn't involve action is phony. So we are only hearers of the word. When we, when we are only hearers of the word, it breeds a hypocrisy that takes the name of the Lord in vain. All right, you remember that commandment? Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. That wasn't not saying GD. Man, a lot of people, I, I used to think growing up, if I said that, I'm going to hell. And that was the interpretation. It's like, apparently that was the unforgivable sin, saying that word, you know, Heaven help you, you know, if you said that. But that's, that was kind of like, even when I was in total rebellion, I'd have friends say uh, the GD where I was like, dude, don't say that, man. <laughs> don't say that. I still had a little bit of fear of God in me. So, yeah, or dying. And so Romans chapter 12, 9, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And so what the, the Old Testament commandment, one of the Ten Commandments says, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. What it's saying is represent God accurately. That's what Jesus did. He was perfect at it. He said he was the exact representation of the Father. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So he is the exact representation of Father. He is the one that's showing a, showed the whole world exactly what the Father's like. If we're to be conformed to the image of Christ, that's part of our role as well. Now, when we mess up, now I also tell you, this is where God's in the radical middle because he's not like, you have to give me a good name. It's all dependent on you. Please look good. He ain't worried about that because if one of his children is in immorality or compromise, he will expose them publicly in a heartbeat if that means saving their heart. And while, while the whole world says, look, I told you those Christians, hypocrites. 
He knows he can make all things right. <laughs> so he's not worried about, like, if we mess up and he's, and somebody, you know, the fame, the name is Jesus. But also, he's wanting people to get act. It is a stumbling block for people if we're not representing him accurately. It is a stumbling block because those people are like, yeah, I told you those, that's, those Christians. At some point, they've got to get over that. And maybe it's because they come into contact with a Christian who lived it out. I remember a story. I can't even remember where I heard the story, but there was a man who came to know the Lord because his employee was a Christian and his employee had done something wrong at work. I can't, like, um, had even, it was something about inventory, just didn't, had lied on the inventory. He didn't steal, but he just was trying to make the report look better. And he, the, the Christian worker got convicted and he went to his boss and he said, listen, I need to ask for your forgiveness. I, uh, I fudged on this report. And, that, and the boss was blown away by that, that this guy came and was convicted and like, because he would have gotten away with it. But that actually, that, that man humbling himself and asking for forgiveness actually showed Jesus to that man. It was like this, this guy has humbled himself, essentially. And so he, he ended up becoming a Christian because of that guy asking for forgiveness. James chapter 3 says, The wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Now, further on down in James 2, verses 8, 18 through 19, it says, but, but someone might object and say, this is Passion Translation again, one person has faith and another person has works. Go ahead then and prove to me that you have faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works as proof that I believe. You can believe all you want that there is one true God. That's wonderful. But even the demons know this and tremble with fear before him, yet they're unchanged. They remain demons. So in verse 19, the Aramaic of this verse can be translated about the demons trembling, that they writhe on their bellies in the dirt. So why does James bring up the response of demons to us? The point is, even demons hear the word, and they know it's the truth, yet they remain unchanged because they're not obedient to it. Demons know the word, they know it's the truth, but they remain unchanged because they're not obedient to it. So you may know Jesus is the truth, but you've got to put forth faith in him. You know, it, it, for you, if you're a new believer, it might be, I've got to find a different set of friends that don't do drugs all the time. <laughs> that was how it was, you know, for me, for a certain por portion of my, my buddies. Now, I actually kept relationship with those guys, but my relationship with them changed. For you, it might be, hey, Maybe I just need to do without TV for a while. The Lord told me, told me I, when I first, that was the first fast I ever did was a 40-day TV fast. This was before all the other screens. And it was in the middle of Georgia football season. A little extra death to the flesh. And so, 
But that was my first fast. And so you just, I was like, all right, 40 day, no TV. And, it, and what it did is actually broke off a Georgia football idol, if you want to call it that, which I believe people can have those for sure. Anyways. So spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of the years, but by obedience to the will of God. So this is, we've all probably known people who've been Christians for years, but they're still immature. And then we probably know Christians who've been, they've only been a, a believer for maybe a few years, and you're like, they got wisdom beyond their years. They act like they're 20 years into the faith. So what's the difference? What did David say? He said, God has made me wiser than my elders. And I would say the only difference is, is that David had more of a lifestyle of obedience than his elders did. This is where God, also in James, it says, God doesn't show favoritism. He's looking at the rich, the poor, the young, the old, the white, the black, whatever, male, female. He's, all that, no favoritism. He's looking, who's going to follow me? Who's going to obey me? Who's going to trust me? And that's how you grow. It's real simple. We, we obey the Lord. You obey him with the, with the small things. We go on through verses 20 through 26. O feeble sons of Adam, do you need further evidence that faith divorced from good works is phony? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham found righteous before God because of his works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Can't you see how his action cooperated with his faith and by his action, faith found its full expression? So in this way, the scripture was fulfilled because Abraham believed God his faith was exchanged for God's righteousness. That sounds familiar, right? So he became known as the lover of God. So now it's clear that a person is seen as righteous in God's eyes, not by merely faith alone, but by his works. As this, and the same is true of the prostitute named Rahab, who was found righteous in God's eyes by her works. For she received the spies into her home and helped them escape from the city by another route. For just as a human body without the spirit is a dead corpse, so faith without the expression of good works is dead. We're not saved by our works, but by the work of Christ alone. And I talk, talked about this, this is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship. Workmanship not statue, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. So here it's talking about grace, saved by faith, uh, by grace through faith, and then right after that, walking in the works God has for us. So being saved by faith, improving your faith by works is not, they don't, they're not contradictory. It's just, works is just simply the fruit of faith. 
right? Walking and obeying Jesus is simply the fruit of loving him. So they're not separated. It's not this, you're not getting in the striving when, when you obey the Lord. So we don't boast in our works. That is of the flesh, the old man. We're not saved by our works. We were created for good works. We're not saved by our works. We were created for good works in Christ. For all of us have become like the one who is unclean. This is Isaiah 64. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. All of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So nobody's righteous in and of themselves. All our, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. <laughs> Obedience is the key to experiencing the gospel. Zechariah 4, 6 says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So to see the Holy Spirit move, it requires us setting aside our might and our power and yielding to his. This is often uncomfortable and inconvenient and a little scary. <laughs> yielding to the Lord, this is why we don't do it. It's because it's inconvenient, uncomfortable, and a little scary. And all that is is your flesh saying, I want to live. But the, but the spirit slays the flesh. And so yielding equals obedience. And if I obey Christ, this is another Oswald Chambers quote, says, if I obey Christ, the redemption of Christ will flow through me to the lives of others. Because behind the deed of obedience is the reality of Almighty God. Behind your obedience is God backing you up. <laughs> He's backing you up. God's training is for now, not presently. His purpose is for this minute, not for something in the future. We have nothing to do with the afterwards of obedience. We can get it wrong when we think of the afterwards. What men call training and preparation, God calls the end. If we realize that obedience is the end, then each moment is precious. So my challenge to you, and my question rather, the question before the challenge, is which lion are you feeding? So it says in uh, James as well, it says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for people to devour. And then the Bible also talks about Jesus as the lion of Judah. Which lion are you feeding? Now, I, I hit on this last week that when you give in to fear, you, you actually start magnifying it. When you give in to courage, you start magnifying it. And so the more you obey, the easier it becomes to obey. But the, the, the more, and that's, that's the, the hump you got to get over is because when you're like, oh, God's tell me to obey, do this thing. And you're just, you're just kind of doing this number, you know. And, but when you do it, you're like, that wasn't what I was expecting. That went much better than planned. Now, every now and then, somebody tells you to go fly a kite. But you realize, huh, 
Okay. And so that giant that was really big, he, he just shrunk. He went from nine foot to seven foot. And then you go over here, the Lord say, go obey, go, go into that land, go obey. Because, but you're like, there's a seven foot giant there, but all right, I'll go. You go and you're like, wow. Not what I was expecting. Giant goes five foot. Come over here, you obey. Giant's three foot. You get the picture until you get the giant becomes a grasshopper. Now, before that, you felt like the grasshopper. That's what kept the 10 spies from going into the promised lands. They said, we are like grasshoppers in those giant sites. And then Joshua and Caleb said the opposite. He said, no, they will become like grasshoppers to us. <laughs> and so that's, that's the overcoming mentality is like, because you've got the king of kings behind you. It was, I remember Graham Cook, he said there is this picture of uh, he had this vision, and there was this giant standing in front of him, just towering over him, and he was in this giant shadow, and he was just looking at this giant, and he was, you know, starting to feel a little scared, and he's, he's like, oh my, oh my goodness, this guy's huge. And then he said, Jesus stood up behind the giant, and he said Jesus was like the size of a five-story building, and he looked at, he, he looked at Graham, and he went, like, I'm about to take this giant out. And so Joshua and Caleb, they knew God was bigger than the giants. And that's what we have to look at when we obey. And just and also realizing that you minister to the Lord's heart when you trust him. That in and of itself should be enough. Lord, I just blessed your heart because I trusted you. It's just like when we come in here and we worship, we bless the Lord's heart. We minister to the Lord. You can minister to the Lord. You can bless his heart. And Leviticus talks about when they offered burnt offerings, it says their aroma was a pleasing aroma in the, in the nostrils of the Lord. And so when you lay down your life on the altar for the Lord, what is your life? It's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You bless the Lord. You minister to him. So my challenge to you is to put God's word to the test. Trust him with your finances. Trust him with your relationships. And let your obedience flow from joyful anticipation instead of obligation. And experience the gospel. Just, just don't gather knowledge about the gospel. When I went to seminary, I remember it was... And this isn't a hit on seminary. This is a hit on people's expectations of seminary. <laughs> and so I remember I started seminary. You have guys, I was in a systematic theology class. And guys are already starting to argue uh, Calvinism and Arminianism. And they're like enjoying the debate. And, just, and I talked with this guy before class. He's like, man, I'm just looking so forward to growing as I'm in seminary. And of course that can happen. But I remember I saw that guy three years later and he looked, he was disappointed. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. But we go, I'm in the systematic theology class, guys. And then there's guys in the back there and they're putting down TV preachers and making fun of them. And I was just like, Lord, please don't. I, was like, God, I told one guy, I was like, don't do that, man. 
Don't do that. I don't care if you agree with them or not. Don't do that. You don't really know that guy. And so anyways, I, I, was, I was just, I just sat quiet and I said, Lord, speak. And he said, just Travis, just remember the law and the prophets are summed up in these two. Love the, love the Lord God with all your heart and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the reason some guys walk out of seminary disappointed is because they go in there thinking an, acqu- an acquiring of knowledge is going to grow their spirit, man, when it's obedience that grows your spirit, man. Because there's guys in there, I had some of my professors, good men, really good men, but I could tell who was experiencing the gospel and who wasn't. I had Steve Fish, who some of y'all know Steve, his dad was Roy Fish, and everybody wanted to be in Dr. Fish's class because Dr. Fish experienced the gospel. You were to be in there, he's like, I just, Jesus, yeah, Jesus is with Dr. Fish, man. He come in there and he, he'd tell these stories and he always did. Have I ever told you the story of Marty Boyd? <laughs> he was an evangelist in Texas and everybody's just like this. And, he, and, Miss, and Dr. Fish taught him revivals and awakenings. And then Dr. Fish would every now and then he's like, we just need to pray right now. God, send an awakening. And everybody would just be like, get in Dr. Fish's class. And then you had some of my professors had the, the Greek New Testament practically memorized, but they didn't know Jesus. I'm not saying they weren't saved. I'm just saying they weren't. You, you get what I'm saying. It wasn't. The Dr. Fish thing. It was this, it was all up here. But Dr. Fish, he would tell stories. He's like, I was on a plane. He did all these interims uh, where he would, he would fly off on the weekend and he's filling the pulpit, like what they called it. And so he'd go do interim pastorships and he'd, he'd fly down to this place, fly down to that place. And he's like, I was on the, the plane this weekend. And I just asked a man, I said, Hey, what are your hopes after you die? The guy's like, oh, I never thought about that. And, and, so, and he'd end up leading the Lord, leading somebody to the Lord, or just being like, you know what? I just, not quite the evangelist Billy Graham is, but God told me, yeah, I shared the gospel with him. And he would always say that. I was just, and then. Steve would tell me, he says, you know, there's so many nights he would wake up in the middle of the night and his dad would be in the living room on his knees praying in the middle of the night. He just, because Steve got up to do something, he'd see his dad in there. Dr. Fish experienced the gospel. And that's why people wanted to be around him because people want to be around Jesus. So I, I just challenge you, experience the gospel. You read it, it says, I get to uh, see the supernatural happen. I get to prophesy. I get all of heaven. I'm seated at the right hand of God in Christ in the heavenly places. All the glorious riches of Christ are at my disposal because I'm in Christ. And you start thinking about what is at my disposal? All of heaven? And you start thinking, all right, there's no sickness in heaven. 
There's plenty of provision in heaven. There's freedom in heaven. There's no demons in heaven. All that's got to manifest in my life. So let's stand up. Do you have anything, man? Yeah, as we go into ministry time, I just, uh, as Travis was talking about the gospel, <clears throat> um, I read this quote on a friend's Facebook page this week. I love it when Facebook is a blessing. And so uh, it was from David Platt, and part of the quote said, how much of our understanding of the gospel is American? And how much is biblical? And so I think it's interesting that we um, pray for Yong Rong today. We uh, listen um, to Travis talk about obedience and experiencing the gospel. And I just challenge us to take a minute and just think about, like, how much of the gospel of Jesus Christ is American? Because many of us grew up right here. And uh, we make the gospel kind of comfortable. We feel like we're comfortable. We're like, I don't want to have to wear my coat inside. It's pretty comfortable. <laughs> um, so I, I just challenge us to take a minute and think about what if we were going to Shanghai next week? And um, what would the gospel, how important would the gospel be? Uh, how important would it be that we had strengthened our obedience muscle so that we had that Roy Fish, uh, I've been with Jesus, confidence. Um, Unfortunately, it's possible for us to go through our day here and not obey. I kind of go home and lay down and feel some kind of peace or accomplishment, just Americanized gospel. So um, when I read that, I felt the need to repent. And I said, God, I, 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 I repent for the way I've put your gospel in an American box. And the first thing I heard from God was, it's not just my life. For your, for, it's not just that I gave my life so that you could live. That's half. But the other half is that I have to give my life so that he can live. And so, Yong Rong is doing that, right? <laughs> like, she's giving up her life that Jesus can live. Like, there's possibility that these, her family members and her friends are going to meet Jesus. Okay, this is, that's like, that matters, you know? So anyway, I'm just sharing that with y'all. I just think if we take a minute and you, and you say that, I think it's hard not to Americanize the gospel. I'm not criticizing any of us, honestly. I'm just saying once we do it and we realize it, we can repent. And so if you want to take a minute and say, God, forgive me for the way I've Americanized the gospel, I believe he will talk to you. Because he responds to his children. We started this morning by talking about how he listens to us when we pray. So I'll pray for us. And if you, um, if you want ministry, if you need healing, or you want to meet Jesus, maybe you've never met Jesus. Maybe you don't have any hopes 
for after you die. Well, we can introduce you to Jesus, and he's got lots of hopes for after you die. And so our ministry team will come over to the side, and y'all can come on over, and our worship team will play. But we're going to, this is an opportunity for you to get some courage, to get some love, for someone to journey with you wherever you may be. So, Lord, we do just take a minute and look at you and ask you to give us courage to obey so that we can become more like you, that others can see you. We are all evangelists. So if you just want to pray with me, God, I repent for Americanizing the gospel. I pray that you give me the mind of Christ to understand the biblical view of the gospel and the courage to obey.